Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, and whoever staggers because of them is not wise. Proverbs 21. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast, strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Oh, that's the sound of freedom in stereo right there. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, just got off of a three-day weekend. Uh, um, my sister's birthday is actually on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and so... Um, uh it's always a good time and it always is a good reminder like you know i have family um and so it was always something that we acknowledged growing up in our household um and it's so weird to me that my wife like she went to a private christian school and they don't celebrate martin luther king jr day um and so (laughs) i can't tell if Tim's reaction is to the beer, or if it's to the no, I knew that about Audrey. <laughs> uh, so um, it's an important day, and I like to um, to read some of his work on uh, those days and stuff, and just kind of reflect on. I usually read letters from Birmingham, uh, letter not, not Audrey, your your sister, a letter from Birmingham jail, and so um, it's good um, stuff. Just a good reminder of just you know calls to action and 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 stuff that we face in our world so um yeah anyways how are you doing doing well i had kind of a i didn't really have a holiday i had sort of well yeah i mean i did some work um of course there was two nfl games going on too um nfl apparently doesn't care about dead black men um (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, uh wife and i did a few errands in the afternoon nice. so i had to pick up a few things at lowe's to repair around the house so but otherwise doing well i'm mostly by myself this week my mom's still staying here although i'm moving her out friday so dang uh yeah, it's time for her to roll her own old bones back to her apartment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to move her back on Friday. We're talking about doing it tomorrow, but my week's already slammed, so uh, p- pushed it to Friday. But my wife's out of town. She's on a business conference right now for two, basically a full day. She'll be back tomorrow night, and then Thursday morning she's... Um... Oh, wait, is she gone thursday anyway she comes back wednesday and is gone thursday morning or back thursday night and gone friday morning but she's basically gone all week so uh when she gets back from her business conference she's jumping on a cruise ship with her mother her sister and our daughter so she'll have a nice uh girl time with the uh with the family so that'll be cool nice all right uh all right so we're gonna wrap up our last 10 questions tonight um and possibly get to that hot topic that we discussed last week we'll see although by the yeah go ahead number 40 
Can I just say next year when we do this, I think it would be nice for me to have these in advance so I can think about my answers. I kind of like off the cuff. I but uh, <laughs> these are supposed to be kind of meaningful and thoughtful, yeah, and I'm just fair. like that's pulling fair. it out of my ass, that's and fair. then we'll, we'll be more we'll we'll be more insightful next year. I think this is just your you like it because you sound more insightful than I do, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. Anyway, I don't feel like I sound that much more insightful. The hard part for me is actually I'm just like, <coughs> how do I not say, yeah, my kid for every single answer? <laughs> yeah, so. you and me, but it's a different thing for me. All, All right, right. Uh, number forty. Uh, did we ask this question last week? This is always the hard part. I don't remember if I ended on forty or if I got all the way through. Um, what career opportunities do you want to create for yourself? Well, I'm kind of locked in what I can do this year. <laughs> Tim's always like, I'm locked in. But I can start, you know, I can, what I'm hoping to do this year is to really start gearing up and coming up with plans for 2025. So that, that's my answer. Cheers to 2025. Cheers to 2025. Get back to me in a year. Um, I'll make sure you have the questions in advance. <laughs> uh, career opportunities for me. Um, man, you know, I went to this training over the weekend for water polo. And, man, I cannot stop thinking about water polo, like, ever since the, ever since I went. Like, it, there's just gears turning in my head. I think when I was in season, it was just really frustrating. Um there were good things all throughout the season. I loved it. Um, but, you know, I dealt with some issues this last year. And I'm really looking forward to this year because a lot of those players are gone um, that were causing me issues. But the boys that I have are looking to soak up information and grow and develop. And so that, if you know, is is a huge um huge thing when it comes to teaching and to helping athletes grow the problem is and this is something that i have to be honest with about my team is that there's not a whole lot of natural athleticism with this group so i haven't been shot down yet on a lot of my plans that i have for the moment as far as uh the growth that i want to see for them but and they will take whatever I say and they will try to put it in practice to the best of their abilities. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of natural athleticism there. So uh, uh, they may put their heart and soul into it and they may get killed by some team of natural athletes because uh, they're just able to sling the ball around and and chuck it into the back of the net. So. Like I'm, I'm thinking of my team and I'm like, I got like one natural athlete <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man, this will be interesting. So, but I have lots of hopes. I learned how to not necessarily coach better, but just, uh, but just hone my coaching abilities, uh, over this weekend. Um, it's just, it's good. Um, and talking with these and what was also really reassuring to hear was, uh, I talked to, uh, University of Pacific's head coach. So you, uh, Fresno State's head coach for the girls program, she was a U.S. Uh, – she was an Olympian. Um, she won gold, you know. Um, the 
uh, UC Davis head coach um, was an Olympian as well. Uh, played at USC, um, and so uh, the U.S. men's hasn't won gold, but uh, those still really good though. Yeah, still still hit the top of their game. But University of Pacific's head coach, and then this other guy who was there, he he coaches high school, but. Uh, the University of Pacific's coach and this guy that coached high school, they're both really talented, but they both talked about the fact that they're like, yeah, I, I played water polo when I was in high school. Like, that was it. Like, that's when I came in. I didn't play in college, but it was just like I had such a passion and desire to, to help and improve. And University of Pacific, uh, they were runner-up in the NCAA championships last year. So um, it was just kind of cool to hear him talk. Um, I want to grow and develop in that area. And I was like, how do I become like that? Um, how do I help my team grow and develop the way that you help University of Pacific's grow? Because it's not like like UOP is not bringing people in from our, right. No, like USC, easy peasy. One, you already had the big brand, the big brand name. UCLA, even yeah. Stanford, Cal, Berkeley. Like those are easy. Yeah, those those, those are, are easy, easy draws. Yeah. Like you don't have to promote that. This motherfucker's in Stockton. Being like, yo, you should come out. Like, and how do you build a championship runner-up team out of that? So, and I'm like, and nobody would discredit them if they lose to UCLA, Stanford, or uh, USC. But the fact that he's been able to, in his time there, be runner-up like three or four times, and then also be in the quarterfinals a couple of different times is very impressive for, again, somebody who's working out of Stockton, um, he's taken a couple of guys out of Clovis. Davis has taken a couple of people out of Clovis. And again, they're trying to compete. Davis is now going to have one of the top three teams in the nation this next year. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, but just really cool stuff. And so, uh, the UOP guy actually asked coaches that if they were interested in talking with him more to send him an email and he would invite us up there, um, to oh, go wow. see him do his stuff chat with him all day, talk about analytics, um, and then see what they do for a program. Uh, and so I sent him an email Sunday night. I haven't gotten a re- response back, but hopefully within the next week or two. And if not, I'm going to, going to ring the bell again. Like, yeah. I was like, cause I'm serious about it. Uh, like I said, I, I've been laying awake at night, just like thoughts of water polo in my head, which isn't terribly good. Uh, just because, you know, it's not my main career. Um, there's, you know, uh, my athletic director did tell me this year and not like in a reprimanding way, but he did say that, you know, don't let the $5,000 job get in the way of the $75,000 job. Like, well, that's, you know what? I admire that honesty and direction from the athletic director. It's both, uh, liberating and it's both grounding. So, um, so I, you know, that's that's really good advice. That said, I think it's look. Your seventy five thousand dollar job has a lot of restrictions to it. A lot of stuff is you you being dispensed things that you've got to teach and do, and so there's yeah. there's a limited amount of professional growth that can go on there. And I think yeah, I would love to be in a position where I'm up at like eleven o'clock at night honestly and can't fall asleep because i'm just like uh visions of work sugar plums are dancing in my head and i've just champed at the bit to get up and go to work the next day and tackle the world so well and that's the shitty part is that 
I'm now like in great anticipation. Like this is like, I don't get to work with athletes for another like three, four months. I'm like, I know this is a good time to, you know, yeah. Work on the program and things you want to do. So when, and I, you know, that stuff will spill over if, if when these kids come back and meet you in the pool deck or in a classroom and you're throwing at them all kinds of stuff that you weren't throwing at them in the previous year, they're going to be like, oh, wow, like we're taking this to a whole new, a whole new level. So, I, you know, I think it's great. We are taking it to a whole new level. And I think those kind of coaches, USC, UCLA in particular, but even Cal and Stanford, they get the pick of the litter, not only in the United States, but in the world. They, like, yeah, they, the world. they get whoever. And so um, there's plenty of quote-unquote leftovers, which is no disrespect for the kids that go to uh, – in fact, in a lot of cases, they're probably overlooked because they don't have – their last name does, isn't a – Itch. Slo- yeah, it's not a, <laughs> a, some kind of Slovakian or Croatian name. And so they're perfectly capable of playing – and they go off and find a home at Davis or, or Pacific and whatnot. But in a lot of ways, you know, these guys are having to, I think they have to work harder because they're putting together a team. They're not putting together the best talent. And so no disrespect to the UCLA and USC coaches and stuff. But, you know, these guys are really having to work, which is, you know, what you do when you're in high school. So there's a famous adage, the old, uh, Oakland, L.A. Raiders owner who started out as a coach. Most people don't know. He's actually a coach before he was an owner. I think he coached for the L.A. I think for the Rams, one of the L.A. teams way back in the day. And then Al Davis became the famous owner of the Raiders. And he would always tell his general manager, make sure you tell those coaches they have to coach like high school coaches. And his point always was, you got to coach whoever you got. Don't come back to me and tell me the defense is going to be good because isn't going to be good because we don't have the right players. You have who you have. Coach them up. Make the best of it. There's no excuses. Right. And too many college and NFL coaches are like, well, I just don't have the right guy. I don't have the guy to fit my system. It's nope. Make it work. Make well, it work. Maybe amend your system to work with the players you have. And that's what high school, really good high school coaches is. You know, unless you're. <laughs> Unless you're a Catholic school, as we've talked about on here. But most public schools is like, all right, this is what I got. I like running this kind of system. You know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to run a different kind of offense or defense because that's the kind of strength I have. Well, and I – yeah, and that was actually the response of a couple of coaches in the room on – over uh, the weekend where it was just like some coaches were just like – well, yeah, so like – but what do we do about the kids that just – you know, but they don't want to try or, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, do you allow them to do that? Like, um, I was like, I'd rather like, I was like, I'm not saying you kick them off the team, but do you allow them to do that? Yeah. Um, you know, it, and it's not just a sarcastic comment. It's just, it's a, it's a conversation with that kid where it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I ran into several issues this year, but uh, if I ran into an issue with that kid and they was like, well, you know, like this kid has an FFA thing and a blah, 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 blah. And like, you don't get that in college. And they were kind of like coming up with some excuses like that. And, the, and don't get me wrong. The, 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 co- the coaches were like, yeah, like we recruit. So we pick what we want, but then they come here and then they're like, 
I've got work. I've got a family thing. I've got blah. Right. And I've got blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it happens. Right. It happens all the time. Sure. And it's like, our problems are not as like, it was almost like they were like, yeah, our problems really aren't as different as you think. So I get to choose these kids that you think are like, oh, yeah, we want it. And this is what we want. But then we're also trying to elevate them to a division one level at that point. Um, and to which that is also 10 times harder than they've ever had to work in the high school level up until that point, because they're having to now meet times that they weren't necessarily, they thought they were an all-star swimmer and then they get here and they're getting their ass kicked yeah, like up and down the pool. And so the, this is a kid that's been cruising and been lazily swimming for the last four years. <clears throat> and then out of nowhere, they're asked to meet these times and they're like, that's impossible. And they're like, really? Everybody else on the team is fucking doing it. So these kids are having to bust their ass and to be able to make the team. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, our problems are fair, aren't as far apart as some people make it out. Yes, there are parts of me where it's like, I need somebody with a fucking pulse to walk on my <laughs> team, you know? Um, because you don't even have to know how to swim. I'll teach you, and I will. Um, but greatness can come from that. Um, I was like, we watched a kid improve so much over one year just over the fact that he it, Hodge had him on his varsity team last year as a sophomore when the year before the kid couldn't leave the lane line and he put him on it because that kid worked so hard. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that kid. Every single not, day. We, we had a kid so who come out and, and couldn't swim. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, we had a kid that couldn't swim. We were literally teaching him how to swim and then one year later gets put on the varsity team. And it's not like there wasn't 20 other kids that could have possibly been on the varsity team it wasn't like it wasn't like we don't know who to pick it was that kid is going to be on the varsity team because he's at playing at that skill level and he wants to improve when when you're a coach when you're a successful coach or i would this is where i think sports are if they're done correctly are invaluable where sports and business or any kind of organization a church for that matter whatever like the american red cross if you want to succeed, you set down what the boundaries are, what the guidelines are, what what our purpose is, where we're going, what our value, all those things. They're down on paper, everyone knows them, and then you know you and then the hard part is is holding people accountable. And the holding people accountable part is willing to go, all right, Stevie, if you don't want to show up at six in the morning and swim, then you can leave the team. Right. And Stevie looks at you in, in his calculus. He's thinking in his mind, well, coach doesn't really mean that because if coach says that, then there's only eight kids left. And he can't really, we can't really play without eight kids. So he doesn't really mean it. And then you look at him and say, Stevie, pack up your bags and leave. And what that does for everybody else who's there is, oh, wow, he's serious, which means I need to up my game. And what it means for parents who enjoy, who value that is, this guy really enjoys things. And over time, people start figuring out, you you know what? The water polo team plays, and they, they play really well, and they win. But just so you know, like, Coach Pierce doesn't mess, he doesn't mess around. And you just weed out the Stevies a couple years later who want to show up and test you and see whether or not they actually have to show up. And then the kids who really thrive and want to perform, they actually, like, you know what? I'm going to go play this thing. I've been playing this sport, but this, so it, it all works out. And you just, you and I have had these conversations offline where I think 
you're in a great situation where your administration does support you. Yeah. And the fact that they've said, like, remember, teaching's your main thing. They've got athletics and a proper perspective for a high school. But that also gives you the freedom to be like, boys, I'll play with seven if I have to play with seven if I'm not going to put up with riffraff. So just just go somewhere else. Right. Exactly. And you and you don't – the thing with playing uh, – choosing – there was a coach, a legendary coach. This guy had been coaching for decades. He left California, came back when I was coaching. Towards the tail end when I was coaching, he'd come back, taken over a team – that had a high school team that had not won in a long time, took it over, cleaned house. This was, it wasn't some tiny little school. He played with 11 players total. Wow. So eight kids are going both ways. Right. And, and you're thinking, well, how did they run practice? They ran half of the side, half from center to the other side, basically, on both sides of the ball. That's all they did. So it was one side versus one side. Then they flipped the other side. So the other side of the line, it was basically one half of the ball. That guy, first year he took over, turned it into a winning program. Within two years, they won a state championship. That's insane. Because he knew what he wanted to do. He knew what winning looked like. He stuck to it. He didn't care how many kids showed up. And eventually more kids showed up and more kids showed up. You know, He didn't win that state championship with 11 kids on the roster. But... The, the kids who figured out like, okay, I'm, you know, there is something to be said about, I'm going to go out if, if we win. And I don't blame kids for that. No. Yeah. hundred percent. But you've, that takes weeding out the field and letting people know. And then when those kids who want to just show up and win, letting them know, like, all right, here's your contract for playing for the, for my water polo team. This is what's expected of you. Right. You break these rules. You're off the team. As long as you follow these rules, you're on the team. Okay, so that's in the question number one. We're now yeah. So basically, I'm I'm trying to make improvements on coaching. So um, that's great. Looking to make career growth opportunities there. If you're listening to this at home, uh, I think the lesson is, I I think the ideal situation is if you're a manager, if you're an owner, you're an owner. But you know, uh, the best situation if you're a manager is the person you're working with allows you to act like an owner, like own your division. You have free will uh, to do things within some set boundaries and stuff like that. If you have that, then, you know, that that's your new year's resolution should be, how can I improve? What can I do? I can make this better. How can I improve the, the life or the camaraderie of my employees? That kind of thing. I, you know, Bet great businesses at the even with the mid management, not the top management. People feel like they have ownership of it and have some freedom to do what they want to improve their department or whatever. So I think it's great. Forty one. How will you make this year matter? I'm. I look. I don't. I don't. I don't want this to sound morbid or anything. You know. I. I am not someone who sits around thinking I'm getting old. Yeah. I'm 50 rum, 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 years old. Um, but I I don't really look at most people who find out how old I am, particularly when they have grandchildren, they they flip out. They don't think I am. I think they probably think I'm about 10 years younger. 
It's because Tim never had to raise infants. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> but although my wife raised three and they think she's younger as well. But no, you're, there's probably some truth to that. Um, it's also because I don't dress like I'm 50-something. Um, but I also just don't think I'm like 50-something. If I did, I don't think I'd be hanging around with you and Eric and some of these other... I mean, it's not because I'm cool and hip and stuff like that. It's just... I don't, it's because you're cool and hip. It's okay. You can um, say it. <laughs> no. I... I don't think of myself as 50. And I, and when I thought of myself as 40, I had to remind myself that I was 40 when I was 30. I just, I'm having to constantly remind myself, Oh yeah. Like you're kind of getting up there. You don't have to start thinking about the end. Um, and you know, 50 early fifties is not near the end, but it's to the point where I want to start being more very you're going to go buy a Corvette, aren't you? No, 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 that's Andy. <laughs> I want to start being very intentional, not only with my relationships, but people who just, I have short-term relationships with where I think I need, I can make an impact and that, and be very not open in a, in a douchey evangelical way where we're putting ridiculous fishes on our car or what I saw the other, the Jesus is the answer someone put all over their car in very superficial in your face ways, but impacting a, a person's life by helping them with their finances or giving them advice about something. And if they're not a believer, letting them know, Hey, just so you know, I'm I'm a Jesus follower, and this is where I'm coming from. Because I think that does matter. Because otherwise, we're just secular humanists if we just go through life being like, basically, like I'm gonna do what Jesus tells me to do. But we're just leaving a trail where people are just like, see, good, he's just a good person. We we don't want to wear it on our sleeve and just be like Jesus, 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 but. If we're not letting people know that we we're acting and thinking this way because Jesus calls us to, again, we're just like some version of secular humanism or a guru follower or just like or just what our current culture in the United States is captured with is just being I, am I a good person? I'm a good person. I I I'm going to judge the fact that I do all these things. I feed the homeless cuz and that makes me a good person or you know, I, I <laughs> I tip well every morning when I go to Starbucks. I'm a good person. I don't hawk at people in the parking lot. No, we need to leave a legacy with people feeling like they got touched by Jesus through me. And I guess if I'm going to be like overly dramatic by it, but I think that's what we should be doing. So I'm at the point now where every year I want to be very intentional about that. Yeah. And that that calls for me to be step out of my comfort zone. Like a couple of weeks ago, I think I talked about on a podcast where I came across a homeless woman and went out of my way. And it wasn't just enough to like provide her food and all and some blankets and stuff like that. It, to just leave her there and just not ask her what her name is and try to make her feel like she's an, a person and say like, well, I'm out here because Jesus calls me to do this which I always try to do with, um, well, I had one guy that I helped out who was homeless and he just assumed, he said, you're a Christian, right? And I said, I was kind of taken aback and I said, yes. And he goes, yeah, Christians are only people who help me like this. And I was, I was actually 
kind of taken aback by that because there's plenty of atheists who like to help the homeless. But he was like, yeah, I'm, you're Christians are the only people who treat me like this. And I thought, okay, that's actually really nice to know. So I think that's where I'm at, not only for this year, for but for other years. It's just really trying to go out of my way to make sure people feel like if Tim's not Tim because Tim's a good guy, but Tim's a good guy because he's a Jesus follower. And then all the shitty stuff Tim does is, sorry, Jesus. I quote the movie... Uh... Wreck it, Ralph. When it's when he says, "Just because you are a bad guy does not make you bad guy." <laughs> and Wreck it, Ralph says, "Thanks, Satan," <laughs> because it's Satan that's talking to him. <laughs> but he's in the evil person support group that he's in. Anyways, if you never see the movie, then you don't know. But anyways. can I just stop for a second? Do you taste like kind of a pepper note when you drink this? It's like a little twingy, spicy on the back. No, I don't. No, nope. okay. It's my third beer of the night, so. 1852. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, how I will make this next year matter, I think I talked about this before where, um, well, actually, I, I, I think the way that I'm going to make this next year matter is, and I try to do this every year, but, man, I do feel I love my daughter, but I do feel my social life shrinking. <laughs> um, yep. As I have her. Um, and I don't know if my wife has made me feel any of that burden or whatever, but it's just more of the obligation to be there. Um, it's kind of one of those hard things. Uh, and I think maybe we did talk about this on the show where, you know, there's this idea out there that, you know, when you get married, oh, you're locked up. Or, you know, you got this ball and chain and you can't do the things that, you know, you want to do or whatever. Now, there are certain things that maybe you wanted to do that are no longer in play. Those were never on the table for me. So that's right. not – that was never something I was going to be, go be doing. Um, and, yeah, I do feel the obligation to, and a responsibility to um, my daughter and all that kind of stuff. So – uh, the way that I'm going to make this next year matter for me is just really be intentional about uh, the time that I do have to be social with the with the people that I want to see on a regular basis of just being like, hey, this is something that I that I think maybe f- at one point I took for granted, but just really be grateful for those moments and and just enjoy them. Um, I uh, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, I said it. I said it a couple of weeks ago that uh, that I play video games, and um, a couple of weeks ago, me and Alec, uh, one of my friends, were able to reconnect on video games, and we've been playing video games the past couple of uh, nights together, and that's been really enjoyable. Because if I'm being honest with you, when it comes to video games, I don't really play them for like I don't play solo um, video games. It's not really something that I enjoy doing. I. I do it more for a social thing of a of a team aspect or whatever, and so yeah. me and so me and Alec have been connecting and and hanging out and playing uh, a video game together, and that's been that's been fun for the two of us to just kind of reconnect because we hadn't we hadn't played a video game together since August, so this has been about 
you know, like four months off where we haven't really been, or no, it was probably October. October was more where we, where we fell off. And so it's only been a few months, but, uh, just really was missing that, that connection because again, before October, me and Alec, and this is what I tell my wife is where, where she's like, I don't understand how you can do that. And I was like, but you don't understand. Like it's, it's two hours because it's about two hours or an hour and a half that I play, um, of me just hanging out with my friend every single night where it's just, you know, Hey, how was your day at work today? Right. I mean, this is the same questions that I ask my wife or whatever, you know, but it's, it's somebody who's going through shit and you're just like, man, dude, that fucking sucks. Um, and you know, we blow steam and we'd be stupid and whatever, but, but I think now it means a lot more where it's just like, I want to be intentional about that where it's, you know, it's, it's time that I appreciate, um, and cherish a lot more. And I mean, I, again, that may sound cheesy or whatever, but it's, it's something that means something to me. So, I mean, like the past two weeks I was at Kauia, I hadn't been at Kauia in like three months. Oh, long time. And it was great to have you there. Yeah. And it was good. And it was just like, I'm just enjoying this moment. I'm enjoying this. Um, I'm not depressed or I'm not anything like that, but it's just, you know, I'm enjoying the time that I get to spend with friends. Um, cause I don't know when it's going to happen again, if it's going to happen again, you know? So, um, just being intentional about that. And that feels really good. Um, and I think that that's going to be the best way to, to make this year matter. Children does change social connections. Um, my wife had her first, she had her first two children basically before she was 20. And then she had her third, um, about 10 years after that. So most, so we were kind of in this weird spot at the previous church we're at where we had our friend groups. We had kind of two friend groups. We had one group that was all about 10 years older than us and their kids were either graduating as our youngest was going, starting, was going through school or had graduated. And then the, the couples that were all basically our age, maybe like four or five years younger, but kind of in the same friend group, their kids were all much, much younger because they had waited later to, to start. And so we were kind of in this, this strange in the middle world where, you know, our, the friends we were hanging out most, most with are 10 years older. They've all their kids have already done like little league baseball and all that kind of stuff. And the ones below haven't really started all that. And so, um, you know, it creates issues where you're just like, you're kind of maybe finding friends that, that are seasonal friends of like, okay, we're, you know, babies playing sports and these are our friends here. And so you, but you still maintain those other friendships. Um, and, you know, one of our friends, Jay, was part of that group that was 10 years older. And we've just maintained friendships even as all yeah. of our kids are out of the house. Yeah. His kids are all out of the house. But even so, I mean, I've got a granddaughter who's six now. And so I know that within a couple years, probably Saturday soccer is going to kick in. And so I'm not going to be available on Saturdays like it used to be and stuff like that. And so there's just these seasons where kids grandchildren grandchildren take up your time um but you know of your group you're the only one who's had a kid now so if i were you i'd just start as long as the fair audrey um agrees just start saying bitches if you want to come see me 
come to my house. <laughs> you have a nice house. We'll show up at your house. We'll hang out at your house. Yeah, I, uh, and I mean, like, so far, I like, again, I, like, we can I, come see you. Oh, Godfather Colton, let's come see the baby. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> well, and, uh, and here is something that we had talked about was, was, the, the way the dynamic works is really we're all, Reese, whether she likes it or not, that's my daughter's name. She's not going to be the center of our lives. And no, no child should. I, that's just, that has, we talked about it the, on the last episode, that that is the worst thing you can do. Children need to know that mom and dad love each other the most. Because I think then that instills in them somewhere what a healthy relationship when they're looking for a healthy relationship is as well. Well, and we absolutely love her. That's, there's no doubt. Um and where it's, but also, but mom feel, but her, a male or a female child knowing that mom loves them more than dad, is is absolutely destructive. And too many families have fallen down that like we've got to do everything possible and we're going to sacrifice everything and blah 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 blah. And I love the sentiment, but no, that's not how this works. Well, and for us, and something that's been really important for us. And as far as Reese's is that as long as my friends are okay with it, which none of them have ever griped about it so far. And you haven't really like griped about it either. Or I I mean, you haven't given permission or anything either, either way is that if you're a friend of mine, my kids will only ever call you as far as I'm concerned they will only ever call you uncle and aunt. They're not going to call you Mr. or Mrs. They're going to call you Uncle Tim. They're going to call you Uncle Nolan, Uncle Eric, Uncle Alec. And that's what we call them around you. Is we're, and we tell Reese, we're like, hey, Uncle Alec's coming over today. Yeah. And, like, he's going to see you. Because I remember that about my dad's running buddies uh, when he was in college and when we lived up north. Like, I still call Uncle Studa uncle studa today right um and when i was a kid i legitimately thought he was my uncle like you know um but that was the way that they treated him he'd show up at our house to go run with my dad or whatever um old college buddies but um i don't even know what studenake is doing now but uh but he's he's something that that was important to our lives. And that was something that meant something to us as kids. We were always excited to see uncle Studa. Um, that was something more than, than just, you know, Oh, Mr. Studa's coming over. Right. It was uncle Studa. Um, and to where that's the kind of relationship that I want my daughter to have with my friends, where it's something that she's excited to. And those are family. Um, because I do view my friends as family. Um, Absolutely. And it also instills with them, you know, someone like me, the level of responsibility, too. So, well, I'm glad you feel it. I I haven't said that. I mean, it's this is on the podcast and now it's recorded. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Alec, for unleashing this out to everybody. But Alec felt such a personal responsibility to to help with Reese that he's still planning on moving to Visalia to be closer to. Audrey and I to help 
out with Reese. We haven't even like asked him to do anything or whatever, wow. but he just feels a, he just feels a personal responsibility towards us. And like I told Audrey about that. Another friend had told us about this and like it touched Audrey. Like Audrey was like, she like almost cried. Cause like Alec was like so adamant about coming over and just being like, I want to be in this kid's life. Like, this is really exciting and I just want to be there for them. Um, and he was adamant. He was at our house like the first week uh, that she was born and he, he held her for like an hour and a half or whatever. And wow. Just, and just wanted to be there with her. Um, and so that's a really cool moment where again, like I said, it takes away from my social life, but at the same time, there's been a lot of good things that have come from it. And so, just getting those really intentional moments from that is really awesome. So, well, I will say again, the our friend Jay. He, you know, he had two kids. We've had different seasons where things aren't in in line. Um, where our youngest son's Jeff Jeff is going into junior high and high school at the same time. His kids are graduating from college and going off and starting professional lives and all that. And we're still seeing each other here and there and connecting. And my point is, um, you know, meaningful relationships, friendships will. I have the same high school buddies I've been friends with since, you know, the sophomore year of high school. And. I haven't seen a lot of them in three or four years, one like five or six years. I guarantee you all of their wives would be rolling their eyes within like 20 minutes as soon as we all got into a room because all of the jokes and the inside jokes would get started just because, you know, that's how meaningful relationships are. And so um, there's just a, a way of distance doesn't get in the way of those things. Right. Um and so, you know, I mentioned on the when we were doing last week's, uh, what were we doing? Looking forward, trying to be more intentional with long-term relationships. That's just something I want to do so, you know, I feel like I'm being a better friend. But it's not like I feel like I'm losing fr friends or people are upset with me. It's just trying to be more intentional and all that kind of thing. But yeah. um, I wouldn't worry moving, you know, down the years of we're separating it's just how life is so that's how it goes the 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 real thing is all your other friends need to get their shit together and start having babies so you're not the only uh, one that's the thing wow now you sound like their mom <laughs> next you're gonna be asking them if they're gay <laughs> dan trobal did say he did lay down a rule once that if you're still single over and and over 30 you might be gay so which is funny because if any of you are East Coast listeners, you're like, what? <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, Northeast. Uh, <laughs> I was like, if you're in Georgia or, or the Carolinas, you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Everybody gets married at 17 here. Uh, <laughs> um, and even the Pacific Northwest also. Uh you don't get married until you're much later. Um, 42. How will you help others this year? Uh, I'm going to do, we're going to do that through the financial class we teach at our church. Or lead. Um, 
actually next week I'm supposed to meet with somebody personally. My wife and I are supposed to meet with somebody who's going through something. And then we're doing something interesting uh, in the spring coming up in April, I believe. Rather than do... So we don't do... We used to do Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace class. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've probably heard of it. If you haven't, it's like... Uh, I think it's 11, 13 weeks. Uh, it's basically how to, it's ma- mainly how to get out of debt. And then once you've gotten out of debt, it's how to budget, invest your money, uh, what kind of insurance to buy, et cetera, et cetera. Plan for the future, plan for retirement, all that kind of thing. Um, and our church transitioned to something else for a variety of reasons, but transition to something else. It's basically somebody who's taken... Uh, Dave Ramsey and some other things and condense it down to five or six weeks. I should know because we teach it. It's called uh, I Was I was Broke, Now I'm Not. It's basically the same thing. How to get out of debt, manage your money, uh, budget, plan for the future, plan to where you've got more money than you need and really using it either to um, leave a legacy with your children or other people. And um, our church came to us for the spring and said hey how'd you like to lead the class we said sure and then um the guy at our church who's in charge of uh, basically small groups came back and said yeah i noticed spring break and another vacation are right in the middle of your class so that's probably not going to work how about we to do a two-day basically we're going to do a two-day like ted talk with q a yeah and just and basically we're going to um, break down this class into just two probably like Sundays or Wednesdays or something where we lay out what the class is, let people ask, answer, ask questions. We answer them. And so that we can either in like a, like a two part seminar, answer the kind of answer, give them the kind of answers they're looking for or get them to show up in the fall when we do the full class. Because again, the, the the class is called I was broke now I not I'm not and I would say every year we teach this class we've done it three times now at least half the class doesn't have a debt problem they have a I don't know what to do with my money problem um we had a couple one year they were both teachers they had just saved a ton of money for their wedding they'd had their wedding and then and so now they're like, we don't know what to do with all the money we were because we're still we still have them all the money we're saving. We're still operating like that. So we're just like saving money to nowhere. So we need to know. We just I think uh, the more I do the class, we, we've I've found out <laughs> with all of the money schools have been thrown and all the things that are teaching. No one's teaching like how to ma- manage money. Um, I mean, I've even thought about turning this curriculum that we do for adults into a, like a high school curriculum and selling it to all the school districts around there where you just like, you know, it's not a full semester, um, but it's part of some like home ec or something where you go in and like, we're going to do some basic budgeting. And, well, it's um, technically what you're supposed to be taught in your economics. Well, it doesn't seem at... to be taught very well because no one does it. And that, that might just be because... Uh, these kids are being overwhelmed by American consumerism. I don't know. But um, anyway, 
the class is well well beyond just getting out of debt it's again it's maintaining a budget and figuring out where to if you if you hopefully you're managing your budget and you got money where do you put it how do you invest uh for the future and all that kind of thing so uh pouring more into that and being more intentional and hopefully more impactful in that that's my answer nice uh that so how will I help others this year? It's always hard as a teacher. I feel like on a regular basis I'm I'm working with people or I'm working with young people and trying to help them through, you know, this stage of life. Um, my job is so much more than just assigning work and grading it, um, teaching work and or teaching stuff and assessing their knowledge on it. Uh I get kids that approach me about their problems and what's going on. God, I've apparently been a relationship counselor over the past couple of days. Uh, um, these girls are coming in and telling me about their problems. and Oh. I, I tell them that they're terrible. <laughs> I do. There, There's a girl, and you guys can report me for this if you want. A girl came in, and she told me her whole plan. She had this idea of this boy didn't want her, and so she was like, uh, she was like, so this is what I'm going to do to like get him back or whatever. Um, and I was like, she told me the whole plan, and I, I like, I gave the same look that I'm giving right now. And I just severe said, skepticism. I just said that is the dumbest thing I have heard in my life, and trust me, I've heard some really dumb things. <laughs> and she was like, "What? No, that's genius." You should. And then her friend was like, "You should be supportive, Pierce." And I was like, "No, no, no, that was dumb. That also sounds manipulative." Um, and also, I was like, "Don't get me wrong. People shouldn't necessarily always give relationship advice." And actually, what I gave was not relationship advice. It was almost anti-relationship advice. <laughs> was I said, which is also helpful to high school. Which high school I said, <laughs> you should just focus on yourself. And if somebody doesn't want you, you walk away and leave it the hell alone. Hey, man, that's the most healthy. Re- yeah, that was what I always mm. tried to tell my kids when they were upset. I was like, all right, then move on. Yeah. I'm sure. And believe me, that was... That's not how I handled things until I was in my late 20s. But, you know, that was that was a learned lesson of, all right, they don't like me. Move on. I, I always believe that what you need to do first, and I was like, is you got to focus on yourself. Go and focus on yourself. And I was like, and actually that was something that I took a relationship class in college where if you sit there and focus on yourself – People will come to you like there's like this weird thing where it's like if if you're just being you and you're just doing whatever it is that you do. People are attracted to that confidence that you have in yourself and your ability to move forward. Um, And so that's that's like one of my biggest advices or the biggest advice that I can give to young people is where it's like and especially teenagers where it's like. I was like, you're focusing on a lot of other shit right now. Like, you're like, how do I navigate a relationship? Like, this is giving me social status or whatever. Right. Really what you need to be doing 
is working on your self-confidence and not putting your self-confidence being reliant upon other people. That's what I told my kids when you they know? when they would get over a breakup or they would get over a series of breakups usually. And I was like, how can I find a good boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse or something? And I, my advice always was, you need to get yourself oriented where you're fine alone, where you are comfortable being alone. Well, and this student... <laughs> and they're like, why? I want to... And I said, because that is when you're willing to quickly assess, like, that guy's a loser, that girl's a loser, uh, that person's overly needy, that person, like, and just be like, thanks, I had a great meal, the drink was great, I'm moving on, and not feel bad about it, and not feel for a second like, oh, but I feel alone, and I would, it would be really nice to have, uh, you know, someone that I could hang out with, just like, no, I'm good. Yeah, I got so, other friends, or I can go home and watch Netflix by myself. Don't worry about it. Right, and so I help kids on a regular basis. That's I see. Okay, I gotta. This is where my age is gonna kick in because I'm you. I think you know me well enough. I'm a bit sexist. I think I'm old. I'm very old school on male female relationships. Oh sure. Um, like in. Yeah, we had something come up today. I was like, I, I'm not meeting with that person by myself. That's just oh. not going to happen. Yeah, I don't know where you're going to go with this, but I'm but, just going so to let I you all know cool. that my door my door is always open. I would just, I sure, we've talked about that. You're sure your door is open, but I would just feel like uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I Like giving a 16-year-old girl advice of like, don't listen to me. I'm. This is just me talking. But like, maybe you need to go talk to Miss Jocelyn down in the next in the next. hundred oh, percent classroom. And these girls also just sort of, I, I was like, they're. I was like, we. This isn't like hot tea. That's like right. coming or whatever. Like that's not the conversation we're having. And I'm also very much like. I'm like, no, no, like, I don't need to know about that. Like, that's, I'm like, no, but it's all good. You can tell me how your day was, though, or like, you know, your weekend, um, that kind of stuff. But, okay. So, all that to say is that I will be helping out teenagers on a regular basis. I was like, that's, it's my job. It's and, a heavy job. And I know that there's people out there that, John Brogan, who say that, you know, <laughs> we don't get a paycheck or whatever for helping kids out um, or, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Wait, what does that mean? He, he said it about, he said it about youth ministry um, where he's like, you know, there used to be a time where youth ministry wasn't on the payroll and people just did it out of the goodness. Oh, of their okay. Um, and so, yes, I, I well, could there was be- a time where teachers got, just got paid to teach math and grammar, but, now you're basically glorified um, social worker. So, no, I'm I'm mean, I'm serious. The job is much bigger than people imagine. I think it is much bigger, and I think the job's much bigger. The average person wants their your the average person wants the teachers that they send their kids to to teach them to be competent. I think it's just like a lot of jobs where it's like it can. It can be as as demanding as you make it, and it can also be as minimum as the job description says. Okay, it is. well, high school is a little different. 
the in talking to the K through the K through eight or nine, those jobs are much more still involving like social worker, and I think the expectations are unreasonable because parents are wanting their kids to be proficient at all these things. Like, well, yeah, okay, I, that'd I'd be still great. Make, I still make the argument that technically what their job description is is not how much those elementary school teachers go above and beyond for everybody's kids. Those people are insane, and we take that completely for granted with how much they go over the top for, for K-8 students. It is – insane i i kid you not like there is no part of me in my being i love teaching and it's not about it's not about it when i think about going down to the k to eight level it's not about a drop in the pay grade it's not about um it's not about i don't think i'll work well with that great that age range i was like i could probably do just fine with fifth graders fifth graders love the hell out of me um, sixth graders would love the hell out of me. The issue is there is so much expectation that people have for elementary school teachers and they don't understand the amount of work that that teacher is doing on a regular basis. That's what I mean. But the work is not just is. the classroom work. It's dealing with basically... Right, but I mean their so, job description is literally the, just teach correct. the, teach the That's standard. That's exactly my point. They could do exactly what – but the, what I was saying was when you say take high school – they could do exactly what the high school teacher does that doesn't do jack shit and just covers the fucking standard. But that wouldn't fly because parents are so involved in their elementary kids' education – or whatever, and they're gonna hound the principal. And principals at the elementary school are fucking anal. They are like, like, yeah. Lots of love. I have friends that are that are elementary school principals, but like, they're like, yeah, submit me your lesson plans every single week, and you know, blah 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 blah. Uh, do this and do that. Um, I well, I still say though, I think parents have this again. What they want is a kid who's proficient in something. But what what they really demand when they sit, start saying all the things is what they want is a babysitter, on top of being a teacher. Sure, yeah. And by the time they get to high school, even if to be perfectly judgy, they're still an absent parent. It's like ah, eh, they're in high school. They're getting those kind of parents are like they're in, getting towards high school. They're an adult. They can do whatever they want. Blah 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 blah. There's less and less expectations of what the kid's supposed to do, and so. Um, but even for you, there's you know you've got kids who might live in a house where the parents could give two shits what the kids are do wanting to do, but the kid wants to get out of the house or go on to college or junior college or something, and you're there's still a level of social worker of how to navigate this, how to deal with this, still being respectful to the parents so it doesn't feel like you're being um, undermining of however they're running the household, and so um, I just. I say this, I had parent. I had parents who taught. Now, they didn't teach in public school. But, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't clueless to how teaching went through um, most of my life. And yet, it only became apparent to me in the last two or three years how the job, I mean, one of our friends just flat out said, yes, you're wrong. <laughs> the job about 10, 15 years ago became like, social worker and that's just you're 
the the world you want to exist where teachers just teach just doesn't exist you're you're basically barking at the moon and so i don't think a lot of parents actually internalize that they internalize uh, internalize it as the teacher's not doing what i want the kid to do that's the thing even middle class parents are wanting their kid to their teacher to be a social worker where the social workers are like yes you have a nine-year-old boy. He's stuck in a, a junior high or whatever age group. You know, you got a junior high boy. He's stuck in here. One, he's a boy. He's trapped in a class, uh, which is antithetical to being a boy at that age because they just go on, run around and blow shit up and you know jump around and stuff like that. And then on top of it, when he goes home, you're letting him play video games. So you're not feeding into anything that's conducive to some kind of like cohesive. Uh, ability to concentrate right and now it's all my fault like why is my boy not concentrating well he's an eight-year-old boy we need to put him on drugs well maybe maybe not what do you do at home he plays video games okay maybe that's a problem what do you feed him mountain dew and sugary stuff. it's just there's no we foisted professional parenting too much on teachers which is well beyond the what their the pay grade is but as my teacher friend said, yeah, it's well beyond the pay grade, but that the reality is that's what it is. And in some instances, it's not absent parents. It's because parents are, particularly in our area, they're, they're new or recent immigrants or they're just poor, you know, poor and they're busting ass and they're out working all the time. Right. There's no one home. You've got, you've got a junior in high school, a boy or a girl who's literally taking care of five or six other kids that range down to second grade uh, on top of trying to get his or her grades in order to quote unquote go to college or junior college it's like yeah that you know you're you're in the master's degree for growing up if you can accomplish all that which people have but still you know you're putting one arm around around behind someone's back where they're trying to do stuff and be a kid and my concern always is when kids are forced to be an adult, at some point, adolescence comes out. And this isn't just a poor kid thing. Because right. there were kids that I grew up with where that parents drove and drove. I, they were the kids that I graduated with. And I could tell at home, parents drove and drove and drove him. Every, all of their entire day was was you know cello classes and then sports and this that and the other and i remember at an early age being like at some point you're gonna rebel right and that rebellion might be 28 or 32 with an early on no i'm serious with an early onset of you know midlife crisis or something of like i am done being i've been an adult my entire life i'm done with it and now i'm making money my life is fairly set i'm a professional you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go start fucking drinking and doing coke and sleeping with whoever i can sleep with because i'm tired of someone telling me what to do all day right and that's the problem with over managing children at some point you have to let them be like i want to be free and experience the world and make mistakes yeah so let them do it either at 15 or they're going to do it 25 or 35 on the downside of the second marriage all right beer number three the coup de gras 
We have row two, hills Can I 56. Go the study of Simcoe. Uh, this is the pale ale from Russian River Brewing Company. If you don't know by now, we're in love with Russian River Brewing Company. This is a 5.4% alcohol pale ale. How is it? It's so good. <laughs> I haven't had it yet. I'm still finishing my collision cool. Um, what personal qualities do you want to strengthen this year? Hmm. My ability to say the F word. No. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I need, so I need to soften some of my edges at work with some of the people that work for me. So that's the one I I'm very, I'm not apologetic about it. I'm not going to change the way I do it. I'm very direct in how I work with people. I despise people who kind of bumble around and like, you don't need to be rude about it, but just if you got a problem, tell me what your problem is. Workplaces seem to be infected by an inability of people to be honest with folks. And I don't mean like, uh, you know, you're 20 pounds over fat. I'm just, you know, I'm just keeping it real. I don't mean that kind of stuff, but just you got a problem. Tell me what I did wrong. That kind of thing. This is how I want expect. This is what I have expectations as you screwed up. You screwed up. Now it's, it's time to move on. And a lot of people aren't used to that kind of communication style. And so a lot of people who work for me kind of bristle at it and think I'm kind of mean so I want to soften it a little bit without sacrificing being direct. Because um, nice. I don't think... Look, I'm a big fan of Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs is one of the great dicks of all time. But he was also somebody who clearly communicated what standards were, and nobody deviated from those standards. And I think there's some truth to that of... You know, some people get bent out of shape because you hold something is a standard that they don't and they're like well you're just being an asshole about it no this is the standard this is what we hold ourselves to we're going to do it i'm going to call you out for it and so i want to work on continuing to do that with, without scaring people off or thinking i'm a jerk yeah i want to do the exact same thing uh i want to do that in my in my coaching position is more where it is um I feel like I have that kind of on lock in, well, in, in the teaching realm where it's just, I. Sorry, if you're listening, you hear Russell in the bathroom. It's the dogs tussling. Um, I think that in my, in my classroom, I'm I'm already pretty good at. At the standard, but. Um, as to what is achievable for them. Um, but for, as a coach, really just setting that bar there and this is the standard, um, in trying to achieve it where it's, it's not, I'm being a dick or whatever. It's, it's, this is, and again, it's through the evaluated process. I've looked at the team and I've sat there and I've said, Hey, these, this is the potential that we can reach, but that 
but you have to reach it. If you're going to sit there and you're going to give anything less than your best, then you're fucking sacrificing a gift. Shout out Steve Prefontaine. <laughs> you know, yes. but I mean, like, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Is that... We need to do a Steve Prefontaine. There's two Steve Prefontaine movies we need to do. A <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I saw those when I was, like, really young, and I was asking my dad questions about it. And I was like, what the heck is going One's on? Jared Leto, I think, in, like, one of his first movies. I have. Uh, anyway. I had a Steve Prefontaine uh, poster in my class, or not in my class, in my, on my wall growing up. It was the Nike ad that said, "Where's the next Pre?" Um, and it's. I had one too, and it's, I wasn't it's, even. It's the famous photo where he's looking back at uh, Oregon Stadium, and he's got his hands yep. out like this, and uh, no, exactly that. And photo. there's nobody behind him. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, and that's the mentality that informs you and me, and I think so. Well, and I, uh, but I put, but I used to put that on my binders all the way through from junior high, all the way through high school. As soon as they started making us put quotes on our binders or whatever, I always put to give anything less than your best is a sacrifice a gift. And I, and I believe that 100% about what it is that my kids do in that pool or whatever it is that my kids do is like, you've been given this life and you should do everything you can every single time that you go out and do something why not go 100 percent? i know that it's cool to sit there and be like oh like you know like i didn't have to try and like i could do all that and it's like no you go out there and you give 100 percent every single time that you go out there because every time that you don't do that you've been given this moment every moment is a gift and so therefore you need to do something about it and like we don't we don't recognize that it's like ah oh, whatever like if i could sit there and just like you know make it look casual or whatever you know and it's like no you need to make it look like you gave your fucking all because that's what you did you know and i'm like don't get me wrong you know i'm not asking for show for showboating or anything no like i was that. i was going to say that that's that's the problem is we it's two extremes. It's like, it's either kind of laissez faire. Like I just went out and did this with no effort or it's, you know, I make a pass that I'm expected to do. And it's just like, you know, and it's the, it's the big dance or the whatever. Cause somebody scored and they scored on my goal. And it's like pipe down, you know, I look, I'm an old man when I watch football games in particular, but even, you know, basketball games, just like, the game's not over. Shut the hell up. Move along. I mean, and or um, European football, just like the game's not over. Shut the hell up. Move along. You want to celebrate like that? Celebrate after the game. And what's so odd is the the celebration after the game is just so like, yeah, whatever. It's like save the bravado that you did before for after the game. So my okay. So two things on that. One, I one hundred percent like, uh, or I. I believe in the whole thing of, uh, but this is, this is what's been trained in me. So it's not necessarily, and for anybody that sits there and says, well, you've never played on the professional level or you you never even played on the collegiate level. And it's like, okay, that's fair. I I don't know what it feels like in those moments or whatever. Um, And also just to be clear, I fully understand that that's not what sells tickets. I know that. But I still think at, at on some level, when you catch a touchdown pass or you do whatever, you make a three-pointer. 
Act like that's the shit that you do every day. That is literally <laughs> what. That is such an old man. Yeah, I completely I'm like, agree. Just act so like, like this is the shit you do. This every is what day. I do all the time. Yeah, act like it's no big. Right. Like don't. But they make such a huge display of it, and it's like, dude, fucking make it seem like you do that before you freaking wake up in the morning. Yeah, like, I've done, you know? yeah, I've, I've done. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a huge part of mine. The soccer thing, so. I think the soccer thing leans into more of the goals in soccer are. I know where you're going with this, and it's fair. Soccer. I'm not. I'm not saying that they're rare, but they're no, they're hard to come by. They're you're, on average, it's two or three a, a, a game, probably. Yeah, and that's a ninety minute game, and that it may be two or three a game, but you may not see one for another five, six, Correct. seven games. Correct. You know. Um, and so that's where, and I think that's the, that's the problem with the American mentality. Well, but also, but that's why hockey's the great American, the great actual sport is because those guys, I mean, score all the time. The hockey guys are, well, no, no, the hockey guys are much more like soccer players and they're, I mean, hockey player, NHL players are the lunch bell players. It's like, I scored a goal. I'm going to do like the skate in the middle with the, like the fist fist pump pump twice and then I'm gonna be bombed by my mop by my team, but there's no like you know, like money, money, money in the corner or something. It's very much still the team sport. You obviously did not watch the Sweden versus United I States. I did not. You keep juniors. telling me about this. Um, how how it, spamming you? NHL be. hockey is the working. It's it's the blue collar sport. And if you don't like it, it's fine. But anyway. I don't like this the celebrating because, for the very same reasons. Like, act like you've been here before. Like, yeah, you made a three pointer, or yeah, you scored a touchdown. That's what you're paid to do. You're paid a lot of money to do it, or you do it on a regular basis. Um, yeah. How do we? How do we no, get no, no. That, that was that how was did from we get down that rabbit hole. That was from the Steve Prefontaine, where it's again, it's this idea of you give anything less than your best, and you sacrifice a gift. And so, even if you're giving it all, we don't need to gloat in our and our achievements or whatever that kind of stuff Um, no the okay yes it is killing it today at whatever you do so in my business it's i get you know i I, when we go out and photograph an event i have to get what's called a credential i have to get a piece of paper or piece of plastic that says that person can be on the sideline take that photo and what i want every photographer that goes out and photographs for me is I'm going to figure out a way to shoot to photograph this game better than I did yesterday and do the same thing every day. And if I get a great photo, it's not like, oh, great. This is I think this is where it bugs me with the sports. If I have a photographer and, or even on the limited basis is where I go out and shoot, if I go get something like, wow, I nailed that. That how do I take that to the next level? Yeah. And I'm sorry, even if you're like Steph Curry, and he's not one who like celebrates crazy, which I think is one reason why he's really like. So okay, if you're Draymond Green, who's a crazy person, he does a, he does a little show. He does. <laughs> How do you take that to the next level? And there's certainly NBA. There's there are great players who's like. Did you All say right. Draymond Green? He celebrates by stepping on people. I don't know. What well, that's mean. true. <laughs> well, I brought him up for, for, for. He's a sociopath. Um, <laughs> That's the pre-Fontaine thing of, yeah, I just crushed somebody in a race. 
how do I crush them by another couple seconds in the next in the next race? Yeah. Um. And not in a way where we're like destroying people. It's just like it's not in the it. It's not for the purpose of destroying your enemy or your rival. It's just like no, but it's about every time that you go out and do something. Do it to the best of your advantage. right. It might be I'm. How do I improve myself by another four seconds? And my and my top rival, my Finnish rival, they better themselves by four seconds. Like and and a Prefontaine would have been like, okay, yeah, I ran four seconds faster, and my Finnish competitor fit, raced four seconds faster, and he'd be mad as hell and be like, how do I get two more seconds after what I just ran? Well, and again, that was like one of the things about Eric Little. Yes, where it was like. Again, when I'm out there and I'm doing my best, I feel God's pleasure. Where, again, I'm out there and I'm doing all that I can and I'm giving... And, again, you watch this motherfucker run. He's, like, the ugliest fucking oh, kid on the planet. It's like a windmill. I was like, how, it's how, like how, a how did you, special needs kid doing a windmill. How did you feel God's pleasure in that? <laughs> right? But, but it was something... It was something special. Um... And all of us have the ability to do something special. Even like it, it doesn't have to be the Olympics or you know being the greatest runner from the University of Oregon who tragically dies in a car accident or whatever. You know, well, like, my wife, not... my wife's in in charge of a department of like six or eight women because she's in education and women gravitate towards education. What? She is intentionally going out of her way to make that ex- that office, that workplace better so that these women feel like they have like a family within the workplace on a regular basis. Yeah. It's e- it's not hard to find people who are competent at work. It, well, it's easier to find people who are competent at work. What's harder is to find people who are competent to do the work and fit within an environment. And so my wife as a, as a boss is like, I don't want to just find someone who can do the work I want them to do. I want them to make this place a, 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 a good work environment to work with where people can feel like they're growing professionally and, and it's family at work. So it's not a chore and all that. And it's not, you know, uh, so wherever you're doing, wherever your job is, if your job is you're listening to this and your job is collecting carts at Target or whatever and you're feeling sorry for yourself, sorry, get over yourself. Collect carts better than anybody at Target. Yeah. And do it joyfully. Every person you come, when you're collecting your carts and some mom or or just tattooed dude is like got their cart, just look at them and joyfully say, hey, I'll take care of your cart. Whatever you're doing, do it joyfully, do it better, and continue to do it better. And from a not only Christian standpoint, but from a business standpoint, like work experience, life experience, if you take that tact on, you're going to move up, and you're going to move up, and you're going to move up. At some point, someone's going to see, like, this person's responsible. They throw everything into what they're doing. Um, and so just do that. Yeah. Hundred percent, and so that's something that I really want to work on, or as far as a personal quality that I want to strengthen this year. Um, so, um, forty-four. What skills do you want to learn this year? Any skills you want to learn this year? 
learn? <laughs> hmm. Do you need to think about it? I was like, I can tell you mine. Yeah, you go ahead. Um, so this one's kind of fun because I actually, for a long time, I've actually been learning skills steadily. I was like, you're laughing. Um, I have one. Well, I'm wondering where you're gonna go, and then. No, I've been. Really you. I no, I've been. Le- I've been learning skills, uh, and not like in the Napoleon Dynamite sense where I've got nunchuck <laughs> skills, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, as like the, like a couple years ago, one one year I had just decided like I was like I'm gonna learn the ukulele, and uh, and I'm not an expert at ukulele playing, but I can play any pop song that you want because again, it's only four chords, but I, I've got this drum pattern and I can do all that kind of stuff where it's like, I can do, I was like, I can do all that kind of stuff. But if there's a fire, I'm going to grab that ukulele from you and throw it in the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I can do, there's just been things where it's like there's skills that I've acquired over the years and I don't even care if they were just like a, like a, a fleeting second whim where it's just like, I don't know where I just got this hair up my ass that I wanted to do this or whatever. Um, I, I love that. Um, it's kind of a weird personality trait. Uh, luckily none of mine have been super expensive. As to whatever it is that I want to do. I keep telling my wife that at some point I'm going to try and learn how to do the piano. Um, I already know how to read music and all that kind of stuff. So it's like I just need to learn how to do the piano and then go from there. But um, it all depends. I mean, I've had I know how to play three instruments, which most people don't know about me. Uh, I don't know this. I know. Uh, So the ukulele. No, that doesn't count. Bitch. <laughs> I, I don't know how to play. It I was like, I you, can that. you can say that. You can say that. I'd bring my ukulele in here, and you'd be like, "That's fucking somewhere over the rainbow," which is the most popular. Sure, I could <laughs> sing that. We, we could do that as a closing. Together. I could play "With or Without You" by uh, by you two. I could name a pop song, and I could play it for you. It's not the same four chords in a row, and it's not the same strum pattern, but I could do it for you. Like I was like. Uh, I was like, I just can't do like really intricate things is basically what I'm saying. So I was like, uh, but I can play, if you gave me all the, if you gave me the notes, I'd be able to play any song. Like, uh, I know how to play that. I know how to play the bass guitar and I also know how to play the trumpet. I grew up playing the trumpet, uh, from fourth through seventh grade. So, um, I was like, I can sight read music and do all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you learn skills as you go along. I know these are weird things. I, I wasn't a band kid. I didn't do any of like, I didn't do marching band or anything like that. Fucking nerds. Uh, but <laughs> I degenerate nerds too, from what we learned from uh, American Pie. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen American Pie. Uh, I really haven't. So, uh, but yes, last year at band camp. But just so we're clear, what Tim is talking about, one of my teachers in high school called them band sestuals because like. <laughs> 
He was just like, they all date each other and they're into freaky shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you know, art mimics reality, so. uh, If you got your kid in band, just giving you a heads up. Just so you know. Um, That trailer's not just for the instruments. And I got to be honest with you, right now, I don't know what my skill is that it is that I want to learn. So, is but I am telling you that by the end of this year, I will have learned something new. So, like last year, one of the skills that I learned, and this may not seem like super enticing to all of you, but it was actually something that was really fun for me, was I actually learned how to do, um, I was like, I played a, a video game. I started playing a video game in, in August, and I learned how to be actually pretty good and competitive in that video game, and that was a lot of fun for me because it actually takes – Lots of hours of practice to be good competitively at this particular video game, and so, um, and so I'd spend hour. I I wouldn't spend hours. Well, I mean, I would spend hours, but not like a day. I would spend hours a week. So it's like okay. So when I would go on and do my video game time, I'd spend an hour, hour and a half, and then the next day an hour, an hour and a half, and the next day an hour, an hour and a half, working on combinations and doing all that kind of stuff and working through how to how to do better and better and better. And I'd spend, and I spent like two or three months on it, and to where now I, I'm pretty good at it. Where it's like, yeah, I feel like that's a skill that I definitely developed this year. Where actually it's meaningless to the rest of the world. To where I'm like, yeah, I can, I can do, uh, I can do this really weird. Uh, it was like, if, it was like, if you try to explain to aliens what it is that I'm doing, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm able to do this really weird thing with my thumb and my, uh, and my, uh, my fingers, to where I'm able to have this thing input and output on the screen better than other people. Uh, <laughs> And they'd be like, what? In the grand scheme of things, that's, mastering that's really no different than mastering like the piano because you're going to play it in front of Oh, you know, 100%. So, but I, that's kind of a 21st century, like, oh, that's not a real skill. But sure, playing a piano in the parlor with like the rest of the family is not really in that, you know, so whatever. But I'm actually envious of the people that are able to do that because they can sing Piano Man with the rest of their family and just, like, freaking, like, go to town on it. A tiny Dancer or uh Well, I say Piano... Sweet Caroline. I say Piano Man because if you've seen, uh, if you've seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think the second season opens. Well, with... I've seen the second season, but I don't remember that, ep- that, that episode. Is it the so. second season? Or maybe it's the third season it opens with... Peralta went on special assignment with Inside the Mob or whatever. And there's a scene where he's singing Piano Man with like these mobsters oh. or whatever. <laughs> and one of the ways, and he like, and he shows that he like, but he betrays one of the guys that he was singing Piano Man with. And the guy's like, wait, you were a cop the whole time? But we jolled together. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a great bit. <laughs> That was a great show. Uh, so any skills you want to learn this year? Well, you and I have talked about brewing this year, so we need to... Uh, yeah, let's do it. We need to commit to doing the Go to Hell IPA. We have to say bottles, though. That's one of the things that people talk about with... I was like, we're going to rip yeah, off... Yeah, like we have that problem. We're going to rip off labels. We just, we just got to rip off labels. Yeah, and then... It looks like we need to start buying a lot more Racer 5 and we'll be fine. And then we also got to figure out how to cap them as well. Uh, you buy caps, and I think, and there's a capping machine. This can all be worked out. 
Okay. I think okay. it's actually part of uh, our friend Brett's. I was like, now all right. kit. I need to go over Christina's. Mic. I was like, now Tim. Now Tim has told me the skill that I'm going to learn this year. So I'm excited about this. Um, it, it's so somewhere in the fall we'll we'll release the uh, go to hell worse than ass IPA because <laughs> I'm sure our, our our first go at it will be terrible. Although I have a few recipes, so we can start with that. So unless we just botch the process they should turn out okay wait when are we getting that uh that like uh that thingamajig where we're gonna like get all of our beer paid for or whatever uh by the government (laughs) oh i need to well that requires money to also do oh yeah yeah because it was like because we could also go down to ballast point and they could just you know go to ballast point and then uh white labs and get that we could get the yeast i was like because ballast point the ballast point in San Diego, there's there's one where they actually encourage you to brew beers, and so you uh, you can go and you can taste beers. So it's it's a tap room. It's the one over by uh, USD. Um, well, I did inform my wife two days ago that we will be embarking. You're not, you're not going back to back. Did Nolan call you? No. Did Nolan call you? You no. have one weekend break. Okay. Well, I told her we were going back to back, but I also told her that we were going to do the san diego 5k 5k walk this year (laughs) and she said oh you are going to san diego and i said apparently we are so but at this time it's a 5k walk instead of a marathon so (laughs) the marathon's every five years (laughs) this year we're just gonna hit five or so breweries and in a leisurely leisurely manner yeah just not walk anywhere um i'll still sleep on the floor and get water tortured at four in the morning (laughs) It's like if I can get if I could get commitment that people are actually because what it was always it was always just going to be us two until randomly like you know it's going to be four oh okay um forty five how will you take care of yourself this year uh, I think I talked about the last time I think I need to exercise more so are you gonna stop smoking. <laughs> You're freaking okay. <laughs> so I said in previous, I think I might be done smoking cigars. And then at last Friday, a couple of days ago, I showed up at Kuya with cigars. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm gonna keep so. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna smoke cigars in moderation. I was like, he's gonna dial it back. Uh, um, that that that's also how I'm gonna take care of myself this year. So I'm gonna dial back on the alcohol. I think this. I think 2020. 2023 was a rough year for me in alcohol. Um, and you may listen to this podcast and you're like, are you dialing it back in the alcohol? You've had your third beer um, this evening. But if I keep that to two nights a week. Well, let's be transparent with everybody. So the last the last episode we recorded, I don't know if it's going to be the last episode that you listen to. Uh, we kind of got ahead of ourselves. We got into it. It was we were having a good time. It's like a four hour episode. It was so. yeah. It was a long episode, and we weren't drinking anything. It was like eight nine percent, but we got to we got deep into the episode, and I went and grabbed another round. It was like fourth or fifth beer, and um, Colton was, drove home. It was the fifth beer. Fifth beer. Um, the last beer we had was a pale ale, like five percent, but uh. Colton drove home. I still had another beer after we recorded. 
But I was thinking, man, I should not have grabbed. He had to drive home. I should not have done that last round. We were we should have been done. So uh, last couple of days, we've done a pact where we're going to limit what we drink over the show. Just because, you know, we like our beer, but we need to be uh, responsible. Be responsible. So, yeah. And so. And I also need to be responsible to my health. And I mean, like, this has been something that's been slow burning for a while. Um, where it's just like, yeah. Um, and I have talked about it on this podcast before where it's like, yeah, I'm not going to keep stuff at my house. Um, and that's what's best for me. Uh, I do enjoy drinking here. I do enjoy drinking on Fridays. Um, and I, and there's events that happen on Saturdays where I don't mind drinking. And, and actually what's good about those now is that because I don't have beer at home, I don't have to feel guilty about those experiences out there. Um, where I didn't necessarily feel guilty about them before, but it was just like, oh man, like, you know, I was like, man, I, I got buzzed like three or four nights in a row where it's like, okay, like, dude, you can't keep doing this to your body and that kind of stuff. Um, I think also the drinking at home desensitizes you. So you're like, I had like four beers the other night and I had four beers when I was fine. And then, so you go out and you have like four or five, six beers and you're like, I'm good. This is what I did at home. It's like, 100%. yeah, I'm perfectly fine at home. 100%. Well, but and not just, really sure if I should be driving like this. It's unhealthy. It's yeah. unhealthy. Like ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it, it's not good for you. That's that's not what our body was meant to do. No, and we we don't drink to get drunk. Although you know sometimes we do. To be perfectly honest, but that's well, not. I mean, but, but that's not why we drink. We drink because we like it and. We like the flavor and we like different. Well, and I mean, and I think to be transparent with our audience, I was like, I've I've been honest about my anxiety issues mm-hmm. that I've that I've mm-hmm. experienced in the past. So, last year around this time was really rough for me, um, and I did view alcohol as a way to not go back on my meds, um, where it was like I was I was worked up. Um, every single day I'd come home from work, I was very stressed. I was very much worried about my job, and so it's like, you drink three beers and and you don't care. Like it was right. like it was like okay, I can wind down. This will help me go to sleep. You know, like I'm not gonna sit there and spend spend these false stuff um, about my world. And and I actually went to therapy about it. Where you, again, like it was about you know. Hey, like I, I don't really feel like I should be doing this, and it, and you know, my therapist was like, "Well, you need, you know, you need to be honest about what it is that you're drinking for." And I think it was like, "Okay, yeah, 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 yeah." yeah. Um, and I did that challenge last year, um, where I said from winter break through spring break, I wasn't, I was only going to drink socially. But the hard part about drinking socially for me was on. Uh, Fridays we would drink beer. Saturdays friends would invite me over for whatever, and we would drink beer. Tuesdays we would drink on the podcast, and then Wednesdays we would do a uh, trivia night. So four out of the seven nights a week, I'm sitting there d- downing at least three beers. Yeah. So it was just, it wasn't good for me. So. One of the things that I'm doing to take care of myself this year is we're greatly limiting that. And, I, and I'm and i not even putting a timestamp on it where 
before it was like, okay, I'm going to go 11 weeks. And, and that was actually a pretty substantial amount of time where I'm going to go 11 weeks. It's not like three weeks or four weeks or whatever. I'm going to go 11 weeks without buying beer uh, to keep at my house. Um, I'm going to do – so right now there's no time stamp on it. Um, and it's just – yeah, I'm just not putting beer in my household. Like it's just – it's not good for me. There's there's exceptions. Like, you know, I think that you need a like, they talk about the cheat day, but I mean like a legitimate cheat day, not just like every week there happens to be a cheat day or whatever. <laughs> um, and that's been true so far where it's just like, yeah, we had the holidays and that kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, okay, on Christmas Day I can have a beer or two. Um, the day before New Year's Eve I can't, or on New Year's Eve I can have a beer or two that's not that big of a deal but i really want to try to make myself into a social drinker again where it's just like yeah i really only drink when i'm around friends and we had talked about this yeah. so um but it's best to help me take care of myself so uh 46 any places you want to visit this year any places i want to or or will yeah it says what places do you want to visit this year well of course sonoma in Las Vegas and San Diego. Ventura? No. <laughs> maybe, you heard maybe, it here first, Nolan. May, maybe fit in a, a slow Paso trip, but um, I think that's about all I'll get in this year. I'm hoping maybe the year after I can go back to Kenya, go back to Nairobi and uh, visit Scotland, but that's not going to happen this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um,. So in my lifetime, I have three big places that I want to go. Well, four big places, I guess, that I want to go to. Um, none of those are happening this year, so they're not worth even considering. Uh, San Diego and Sonoma is pretty much the only places that I really want to get to. Uh, if we're talking about big long-term plans, I really, really love Japanese culture. Um, I've studied it for a long time. I had a history teacher in junior high who was uh, a history teacher in japan which was a lot of fun um so i have a lot of love for the continent or not the continent but the island of japan um i would love to see it i want to i want to experience that place um i have convinced my wife that that's possibly one of the one of the places that she definitely wants to visit. So that, that'll be fun when we finally do that trip. Um, there's there. Um, second place on my list that I definitely want to visit is uh, New Zealand. I just want to see the hobbits. That's really what it is. I just want to see where the hobbits lived. Um so I know that there's not a ton of things to do in New Zealand, but oh no no that's not true. Hey, I don't know. New Zealand has all of the different. It's got desert. It's got yeah snow capped mountain. It's got all of it. Um, so New Zealand's one of those. Uh, the other two are, um, my heritage or my my family lineage is from Scotland, from Scotland. Um. And 
I don't feel extremely tied to that or anything. I don't tell people that I'm Scottish. If people ask me well, what my heritage is or where I'm from, I always say American or I'm from Oklahoma. Um, because, and then they're like, no, really, where are you from? And I'm like, you mean 300 years ago, where am I from? Like, and I feel like that's a question that's born out of people that are from a place where they only have to go one or two generations back. And I'm like, listen, I've got to go like eight, nine generations back, 12, 15 generations back before I'm back in Scotland. And I'm like, that's, I was like, so yeah, I'm Scottish. I don't, I don't get the whole, I'm this and that. I, even if it's like, I'm more fucking native American than I am Scottish. <laughs> and we've been, I just, that. the Philadelphia Eagles coach has a little Italian flag on his shirts and sweatshirts. He wears cause he's Italian by ethnicity. Look, it doesn't bother me that he's got that on there. It's just, it just doesn't resonate with me. It's like, who cares? Like you're an American. You know nothing about Italy. Pro- I don't, I don't, who knows? He might know a lot about Italy because his family's still very Italian. I don't know. But I just don't understand the whole... There's this... We have this strange dichotomy in the United States right now where you're not allowed to be nationalistic. To be nationalistic basically means you're like a racist. But we're also supposed to be overly attached to whatever country of origin we came to. And I'm like, What's the difference? Let's just like, yeah, all right. So, yeah, yeah my, so I don't. Part of half of my family's Finnish, the other half is Scots, Irish, and English. It's like, all right, I'd like to go to Finland, but it's not out of some sense. Like, there was a commercial I saw of somebody saying, I don't remember who it was, but it was over the weekend, I think, during a football game. And somebody was saying, like, I didn't fully understand who I. Oh, I know who it was. It's a commercial for Giannis. I don't know. I can't say his last name. Giannis. Antetokounmpo. Yeah, for the, the Greek for, dude? for the Milwaukee Bucks, who's yeah, the Greek, Greek but he's he's also African American, black. And there's this commercial out there where he's talking about how I don't, I won't know who I fully am until I explore where I came from. And I'm like, that's the biggest bunch of postmodern bullshit I've ever heard. You are who you are. Doesn't matter where you came from. You're a seven foot something exceptional athlete who excels, who's, uh, who I would hope is a very nice man and a good friend and whatever. That's who you are. It's not where you f- came from. Where you came from might be interesting. Um, it's not like it's meaningless, but it's a it's a a, a, a post note to what your life is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I say, and again, I don't have huge attachment to Scotland, but I, I would like to see Edinburgh. Um, I think that I've been once, and I'm dying to get back. It's yeah, I phenomenal. Think, I, it's I would, wonderful. I would love to see Scotland. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, there is still some connection. There's still that that pull where it's just like, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of like to see that 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 area and that that part of the world. Um, and that, then, 
And I also include within that trip, I, I'd like to see the UK um, just as a whole. I mean, I'm a huge soccer fan, and I'd love to go to Manchester and watch my team play. I'd love to see London and all that kind of stuff. Uh, um, again, from an English perspective of go see the library in Edinburgh, go see, um, you know, go see Oxford, go see Cambridge, go see the Globe Theater, um, where it's, um, now don't get me wrong, those are staples of imperialism, but also at the same time, they're, they're staples of the English language, um, and also, you know, go pub crawling who doesn't want to do that uh there's good and bad with every empire and the british empire is you know it's brought order and law and all kinds of things it, it's got all kinds of problems that go with it and there having said i don't have i don't understand this like affinity to i'm finished or whatever i want to go see that because it informs me it's a, there is something to be said, like if you're an, an American Christian, it doesn't really matter if you're evangelical or not. American Christianity is very much informed by Scotland. The Christianity that came, the, Re, the Reformation that came particularly out of Scotland informed a lot of Christian, Christian thought in the United States. And so, you know, if you want to go do that tour on in in that way, and even all even beyond that, just the Enlightenment also, the Scottish Enlightenment also informed uh, secular ideas as to as well. So, if you have that kind of affinity for affinity for how we think and how our Christianity is, go do the Scottish tour, and it's just gorgeous. So, well, and and the fourth place for me is, and this is kind of funny, and notice that neither Tim nor I ever said. We didn't say Israel. No. Um, and I don't know. Have you ever been? No, my parents. My parents went once, but I haven't been, and I have no. I really have no affinity to go. I have no problem with going, but it's I mean, not if a- someone offered it, like it was affordable or like worked in my schedule, I, I'd have no problem going. And I'm sure if I went, it'd be probably amazing to see the 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 things that have been preserved from the new testament and even the old testament and stuff like that i'm sure it's it's but why not why why i don't have an affinity for it yeah why not because that because i think christianity doesn't fit within those we're not like a yeah i what what i think tim we're not a ritualistic thing no the fucking temple is here right and and so again if someone like if the trip came along where someone said, "Hey, I'll pay for your trip," I'm tr- I'd go and I'm sure I'd find it amazing just to find out how blast, tiny yeah. Israel is, yeah, and, and like, oh, it's only this far from Galilee to here, and this is where Jesus actually, whatever. This might be the, this is what we think the tomb where he, or, or see how small Jerusalem is, and all that kind of. I totally like our the pastor we. Uh, at our church has gone and done that trip at least once. I see why pastors do that, but I have like zero affinity. Like, no, I just like, I don't, I don't see doing that trip coming back and going like, Oh, I feel closer to my faith and everything. No, no I don't think so either. And I don't, and I don't have a desire to go to see Paul's, uh, trail with the Greeks. No, and all that kind of stuff. Like I don't, I was like the last one that I actually had on my list is South Africa for a long time. I've had just this really long, I've had this desire to go and see South Africa 
if you're sitting there and you're like, you know that that place is like in the shithole right now. Um, <laughs> I'm well aware. Uh, but also on the standpoint of uh, hopefully you also thought that to Tim when you were like, you know, Kenya's in the shithole, right? <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I, there is for a long time, South Africa has been on my heart. I don't know why. Um, I just feel a connection to that place. Um, I'm not even Dutch. Uh, <laughs> um, but there's a there's something there where I just want to go. I want to see it. I want to experience it. Um, it's a wild country um, and not in the Joseph Conrad term of wild country. Um, uh, I was like, was your comment towards, uh, the, the text I got, oh, okay. I was like, it. I was like, you were just like, well, your eyes got really big and I was like, yeah, sorry. I wasn't meaning that, <laughs> that this was the heart of darkness out there and freaking, uh, that's not what I'm getting at. It's a wild country as far as like, it's, you know, the, that's where like lots of people do their, their safari tours or whatever that's not that's not what i'm looking for right um i actually one of the biggest things that i that i love about south africa well there's two things one well these are these are mainly jokes but they're but they're kind of cool things that are about south africa one south africa has the jumping great white shark sharks which is really really cool so if you ever watch shark week and you ever see the the great whites that that come up out of the water and eat the seals um, they have those and then there's the other show where the dude is on rivers oh river monsters river monsters they also have crazy fish in their rivers yeah they have crazy fish in the rivers but and actually huntington beach had the jumping white sharks for a little bit there was like a migration that happened oh, really? where they came out and they and so they somehow ended up in los angeles during that year of the sharks or whatever um in huntington that they were calling it and they came out and they and they did the jumping but where the the big jumping great white sharks so they were, gravitate towards surfers uh, yeah where the and that's also where my second one is. But uh, the, where the jumping great white sharks happen is in South Africa. It's right off of uh, St. Petersburg is where they all do it. And in the summers, they'll come out and they'll jump out. Um, and that's like the big thing of Shark Week that everybody's like, everybody wants to talk about. Because you're just like, how does this freaking thing come out of the water? And just Because it's an anomaly. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Right. There's great whites in fucking San Francisco Bay. They don't fucking jump out of yeah. the water. Um, the second one. So we have Shark Week. And then the second thing that's a really cool thing. Uh, but again, it's kind of like a joke. But if you've ever seen the Endless Summer surf video or surf movie, uh, the guys that are in that movie talk about their favorite place in the world. Uh, that they got to surf when they were chasing summer around the world was South Africa. They end up going over the, they go on like a two, three mile hike. That's like up over these sand dunes. And then they come over the side to this ocean and they ride a wave for like four straight minutes. And all of them are just like, it was insane because the wave was perfect. 
it was the most perfect waves that they had talked about that they had ever ridden in their lives. And so literally they're just standing there and just like, and the only reason why they fall off is cause like they just give up on the wave. It's yeah, not, they're, they're done with it. Yeah. The, it, it wasn't that the wave ended. It was a perfect wave where it's just this idea. They're just like, they're sitting there, they're doing tricks. They're like, and they had never experienced something before. And if you look at the wave and if you watch, um, the endless summer, if anything but Hawaiian waves are like pretty wimpy waves as far as what you've possibly seen in like movies or whatever where you get these these big swells and like, you know, you have the tunnel coming over and it's like for the most part during this time of the movie, most people didn't really fully – people were emerging on the surfing scene and where it's yeah. like these guys were groundbreaking but – the waves that they have videos of them surfing are you're just like that's it and they're like oh you got to enter the tube and some guy's like ducking underneath the water and it looks <laughs> like he's just getting like bathed but then you look at hawaii and hawaii has these huge massive waves and still to this day hawaii has massive waves where like you know people have to inst uh they do extreme surfing where a guy pulls you in on a jet ski and you're able to ride yeah that's that what uh baird a uh, laird uh what's his name invented was the getting towed out to it in fucking insane yeah yeah and then there's mavericks up off of um between monterey and the bay area which yeah. is a whole other but that's a whole other but that's a whole yeah that's a whole other crazy thing too yeah and so all and that's then to otherwise say... it's just chasing big waves that are cyclical around the world all that to say, these guys are just chasing summer. And actually what they find out from everybody else, because again, a lot of people didn't really understand when this movie was being made that the winters is when you get the massive swells. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because the moon is closer to the earth and it's causing greater gravitational pull to cause. So really what you want to do is you actually want to chase winter around the world. So mm -hmm. that you should have the endless winter. There should be another surf documentary made in the next couple of years that's called The Endless Winter. But... The Endless Summer, again, it was that California idea where it's like the sun's out, it's time to surf. Um, and so there's a really cool thing from South Africa. So that's always been a thing on my mind where I've always wanted to go to South Africa and see that and, and all the stuff that's there. But also at the same time, there's, there's a need in South Africa. Um, to say the least of there's a people in need there um, um, and going out and helping them is something that's crucial to me um, 47 what will you say no to this year what will I say no to seltzers <laughs> well that's absolutely true <laughs> uh, what will I say no to I will say no to voting. I said this in the last episode. I'm not I'm not voting. Well, I'm not voting for federal and state. I'm done. Uh for a variety of reasons I won't get into, but I'm I'm not I'm not voting. It's all a sham. These are all charlatans and it's a joke. When the game's rigged, stop playing the game. So I'm just not going to play the game anymore. Um, and part of this, 
part of it's because uh, there's non-Christian reasons why I don't trust either Republicans or Democrats, but there's also, I would say, reasons that I feel are more informed by where my faith is today, like the endless wars and the nonsensical wars of both parties being involved in those two. Just I'm I'm just not voting anymore for these people. It's it's a waste of my time. Um, and no, you are not obligated to vote. You are obligated to take your voting privilege seriously, but that doesn't mean you have to vote for whoever's on the ballot. That's not how this works. That's nonsensical. Um, and I take my voting very seriously, and I'm going to... I'm going to uh, display my displeasure with everyone who's running by not voting. So that's no. how that works. Vote for Jesus Christ every single time. <laughs> Just to be clear, the last two presidential elections, I have voted for Jesus Christ. Um, uh, and my parents have and said... Jesus said, if elected, I will not serve. But he is my leader, and so therefore I vote if, for him. If nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. And, but yet, that is why I vote for him to be my leader every time. <laughs> I, in all seriousness, I have voted for Jesus every single time that I voted. And not because, not for some cheesy gimmick or whatever, but again, where it's like, <sighs> when I look at our country and I look at the issues that we're facing in it, and when you say what you will say no to this year, I, this is something that, again, I'll say no to again this year, where it, I vote for him almost symbolically where it's like I don't view anybody else to lead me. Um, and again, this comes to our hot topic, which we'll be discussing next week. <laughs> is this idea, you know, you give to God what is God's. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And, and I don't let Caesar take away my happiness. I don't let him take away my joy. Um and I think that when it comes to voting season, a lot of people let Caesar take away their joy and their happiness. Absolutely. Um, and so when I vote for Jesus Christ, it's like I, I trust for all of these things to be in your hands. And, and people can laugh or whatever, and they can say that's dumb or that's a waste of a vote, which my parents did say in this last election in particular, which was the Biden versus Trump election. If you don't vote for... Whoever it is that we want you to vote for or whoever we want to vote for, then you're just wasting your vote. Which, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I don't agree with that at all. Even if you just wrote in some, it doesn't have to be Jesus. You wrote in smile. It's not a wasted vote. You're voting who you want to vote for. I don't subscribe to the binary idea that it's this person the or dual this party person. system. Yeah. I, fucking I don't. Them. I don't. I don't agree with that. It's almost like George Washington said that it would be the death of this country. Yeah, it's funny how that. How that. Yeah, it's funny who that 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 was said early on. And so, no, I don't subscribe to that. And so, whether you're Colton and you vote for Jesus Christ, then you, you think that's no, it's not, or it's me. And oh, you have to vote for somebody. No, I don't. My vote for neither one or the five people, including the like Jill Stein or whatever, not moron. Uh, also ran a libertarian party uh, idiot. No, my decision not to vote while voting for other things is a vote in and of itself. I do not, 
I don't approve of anybody who's put been put on the ballot. So um, I don't have to vote for every. I'm not required to vote. Um, that's just insane. Number forty-eight. How will you improve your environment this year? Oh, environment. Uh huh. That's a vague term. Your environment. Well, apparently I'll do it by cleaning up all the bottles that are in front of the in, on the desks around me from all of our drinking. Um, clean the environment. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to improve my environment. I mean, so like right now, so Tim says, I don't know, but yet I see lots of good things on his, on his focus board around him. Again, there's, you know, perfect is the enemy of great. Um, he talks about things that he wants to read. Uh, he has his word of the year up there, survive, um, that kind of stuff. I was like, I was like, I'm going to ask you after this podcast if you got any pictures of Steve Prefontaine in your uh, in your <laughs> repertoire, and I'm going to toss a, and I'm going to put a poster up in my classroom that says, "To give anything less than your best is to sacrifice a gift," um, or just make that quote visible for myself to where it's like that's that's something that I hope to live my uh, my uh, my year by, and to give my students something to live by this year. So. Yeah, that's fair enough. So that's something that I hope to improve my environment. Just something to see every day where, it, you know, it's a reminder of what it is that we need to do. Uh, who will you ask help and support from this year? Um, Your mom. No, I think my mom's going to be asking me for help and support oh, all year. Yeah. Uh, I've got to be trouble. Uh, there's an answer to that, but I can't really say. Uh, help and support. I don't know. I think for me, who I will ask for help and support from this year is, uh, I think I'll continue to ask you for help and support this year. I think that this, like we've talked about on this podcast, where uh, we've helped and supported each other in ways that we will continue to cherish for years to come. And so I hope to continue that this year where I can ask for something and, and ask for support and and whatever it is that I'm going through and and you will continue to be honest with me and and give the best advice that you possibly can because I do cherish it. So um that's something that I'll ask for help and support this year from. All right. Number 50. Who do you want to become next year or this year? Last Who question. Who do I want to become? Last question. Who do you want to become this year? Darth Vader. <laughs> Bradley Cooper. Uh every year it's Vince Vaughn. I mean, who wouldn't want to be six foot five lurch, but who's also funny and uh, uh I don't know. Uh 
want a polka. <laughs> you want to dance? I want a polka. Uh, I think there's there's always a desire every year to become more and more of a leader, and by that I don't mean like someone who like has like the. Uh, I want to be Billy Graham next year. <laughs> not someone who's got like the the trappings or the. Someone that people want to come to. I, I'm. Not, I don't mean it like some august. Uh, you want to be a guru. That's what I mean. Yeah. No, that's not what I want. I mean <laughs> someone who stands up and does the right thing quietly, and people recognize, like, okay, that's what that Tim stood up and did this and did it quietly and didn't call people out who didn't agree, um, but was an example of what the right thing to do is. And those things come in big moments and they come in small moments. I think oftentimes they come in small moments where people are kind of looking around like, is what's the right thing to do? Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that or say the right thing or we can, you know, we can say that out loud. Are we okay to say that? So, um, Yeah. I think for me, what I want to become next year, and, and maybe this is something that, I don't know, it's a weird thing to say. Um, I don't... I don't know. I don't know what it is with who I am as a person or whatever. I, I've had some people who who think that I am significantly more judgmental than I am. And it could be possibly because of my actions. It could be based off of their own insecurities. I don't know. But people have... I've disclosed to me that it seems that I am am too judgmental on them and I and I really in my heart of hearts hearts I I really I really don't I don't give it a second thought but there's something in my visual appearance or something in the things that I'm saying that makes it seem that I am much more judgmental than I am. And so I want to try and, and work on that. I don't know. I don't know what it is that I have to do there. I'm, I'm going to have to do some work, but, um, I don't know. It's something that's been, that's been aching at me and, and where it's like, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm, that I'm being judgmental of who they are and, and what it is that they want to do because that's not fair to them and it's really not something that I really intended for them. So that's what I'm hoping to do this year. So. Wow. Was that it? Did we get through everything? Thank you.
<laughs> Justin Timberlake thing. Ha, ha, ha.